Hey, Being at Work listeners, welcome back to another incredible episode. This is your host, Andrea Butcher, and wow, I'm really loving today's conversation because it's such an important one. Because, you know, on this show, we talk about our humanity at work. And our guest today says that walking in her authenticity has really helped her. Actually, it has set her apart. And I've been so fortunate to get to see this in action, serving on a board with her, working with teams she's been on in the past. I think so highly of today's guest and have huge respect for her. And no doubt, you will hear why. Kristen Whedon is the Chief Talent Officer at Penske Entertainment. But what you really need to know about Kristen is how a comment that felt racially motivated about her earrings early in her career became a motivator for her in so many ways. Listen in as we talk about owning your vibe and removing insecurities around the who so that you can focus on the why. Check it out. Sometimes I talk a lot about parts of my journey. What people don't know, I am from Chicago, born and raised, and I am a girl who looked at my environment and said, I got to do better. I want more. I need to get out. And literally coming out of high school, my mindset was get out, do better, do more, any means necessary. And I actually have a cousin who we were very like-minded in that way. And we were each other's support system through our younger years in life. And he's an engineer today. And so my journey really is rooted in being passionate about changing the narrative. And so that's the motivation for almost every decision I've made in my life. And so when you ask about the journey, I went to undergraduate school in Virginia I got exposed to a lot of HBCUs in my high school. I went to Virginia State, and it was very far from where I lived. And yep, packing up and moving on and going far. And at the time, thinking never coming back. But I tell you what, there's something to be said for self-awareness. I ended up going back and moving back to Chicago, finishing up my undergraduate school in Chicago. But it was incredible. It helped me minimize debt. It gave me a lot of foundation. I went on to graduate school. I tell people all the time, it's just experiences, right? Just collect experiences throughout my life. And I've tried to be intentional about forcing those experiences to build on each other. Like, yep, I'm bouncing, but I'm moving. I'm not stagnant. I'm progressing. So every pivot, every decision was rooted in the spirit of forward movement and doing better. Yeah. And I see the connection between changing the narrative your experiences, because it was your experience growing up that motivated you to do something different. Yeah. Again, growing up on the south side of Chicago, I love Chicago. To this day, one of my favorite places to go back to. It's a part of who I am. I'm still a Chicago girl, but I wanted to be of it and not necessarily stay in it. Much of that has shaped me, but it's also motivating me to, again, just change the narrative and change it for my kids and I moved on and went to graduate school, did my master's work in sports management at Indiana State University. I was a graduate assistant. I've always worked. I was an RA. I was a GA. And it just was an incredible time. And so I'll share this. So I'm from Chicago. I'm in Terre Haute. But I did not have an amazing spirit experience in Terre Haute. 
And I quickly moved on from living there, but I stayed in that graduate program for both of my years. I wanted to finish it. And so I did, but it wasn't an incredible place to be for a person of color, quite honestly. Just give you an example, I went to dinner with my cohort that was predominantly white. I was one of, I think, three African-Americans in our cohort, and I was the only Black female. So it was always me being that Black girl in the group, which didn't bother me. I was fine, and my cohort was pretty cool. But we'd go to restaurants, and they take everybody else's order and somehow not take mine. It was terrible for me. So did my graduate work. Again, I value experiences. So good, bad, ugly, indifferent. They all help make who you are, what you are. So I finished my graduate work there. In my second year, I found an opportunity to be a residence hall director at the University of Indianapolis. I knew that there were jobs out there you could get as a graduate college student that would help pay for your overhead. You know, you get a salary or a stipend, but you could continue to go to school because I had been an RA in my undergrad. So I found an opportunity at the University of Indianapolis, worked there while I finished my graduate program. As I finished my graduate program, I landed a job at the NCAA, which when you're in a sports management program, that's the goal. So I did, I landed a job at the NCAA. At the time, it was called the Clearinghouse, then moved over to call themselves the Eligibility Center. And that part of the NCAA's business had just moved from Iowa to Indianapolis. So we were actually located at 16th Street. It is now at the national office. While I worked at the University of Indianapolis full-time as a resident hall director, I did that for maybe two years. And then both of my directors, they both offered me promotions. And this was maybe my first powerful moment. And I didn't really know what it meant. So I chose the University of Indianapolis and not the NCAA. And with my major, my background, it was the craziest decision. I worked for two Division I men's basketball programs as a graduate assistant. I had just gotten a master's degree in sport. I'm working for the NCAA. And the mindset is start where you can and excel, move around. But I based the decision on thinking about who I am and where I was most comfortable. And I didn't know it then, but I made the decision based on culture, the culture of the organization. I didn't know anything about that word or what it meant. What I knew was I loved showing up to the University of Indianapolis every day. I loved the work that I did. I loved the people that I worked with. I loved my boss. And the NCAA was just the NCAA, but it didn't make me feel all these ways. And so that was really the basis for my decision. So I took a pivot that was not in my degree program and worked in student affairs. And so with that, I started as a residence hall director, which is the job that I had. And I worked there at the University of Indianapolis up for 11 years. I did take a small break. I was promoted multiple times, took a couple of years off, had my son lived abroad, came back as a dean of students. I just love that place. I love the people I worked with. My director, she was our senior vice president of Affairs, Corey Materially, one of the most incredible people I know, really poured into me, developed me, and really gave me what I call my professional foundation. But it's such a big part of that was I was allowed to bring ideas and have a voice and be who I was. But I will share, there was one moment that was pivotal for me and really saying, I'm going to own every part of who I am. I was in a meeting one day this was probably when I was the coordinator level and there was a, she was director level. And after the meeting, she pulled me aside and she said, those earrings you're wearing, they're ghetto and you're not going to do more or be promoted or people won't 
respect to looking ghetto or wearing something that's perceived to be ghetto. And honestly, I don't even remember all of what she said. The word ghetto just stood out to me. And the fact that we were having it, she was a, a white female having this conversation about my earrings. And I'm just thinking, man, I do so much work on this campus. I have such positive relationships with the students and other professionals. I'm teaching a new experience class. I think I'm killing it. My performance reviews are great. And you're talking to me about my earrings and how my earrings are going to be a barrier to me doing more and changing the narrative. That's what I heard, which mind you, doing more and changing my narrative was always the motivation. And I'm thinking, but I love my earrings. I think they're cute. It's a part of my vibe. And I don't know what the association for ghetto was, but it only had a negative connotation to me. It stuck in my mind. And I made a decision that day that I literally was wearing my ghetto gold hoop earring every single day. And if I was going to be in a meeting with her, I'd find a bigger pair. And I'm going to continue to do what I do and wear my earring with whatever you think about them. And just let my work and my performance and my energy speak for itself. And I remember years later, leading and chairing work in a student affairs team and she being a part of one of the subcommittees that was on the initiative we were working on. And I, at this point, I'm chairing it with my big ghetto gold hoop earring. It just came full circle. Maybe for some people it might never happen, but I actually got to live the moment where it was like, man, no issues with my earrings are yours or not mine. And so it's funny, I just hired someone new on my team. I brought it to the track to meet Mark Miles, who I report to. He wanted to be here. And they have an introduction. We do all the things. Long story short, we hire her. So this week is her first week, and we're sitting here talking. And she said, oh, my goodness, I was so glad when I came in this weekend to see you that you have braids in your hair. And I told her the story about the earring. And I told her, I'm going to work hard. I'm going to bring it every time. But I'm going to show up as me. And I found that it gives people permission to show up as them. It is a thing for some reason. Women of color, we all have labels that get put on us, the biases, the things that we're working through. But when I talk to my women of color and I just rally around the experiences we've had, the things that we have insecurities about, because somebody has made some comment to make me feel small about something that really shouldn't even matter. My last organization, we would talk a lot about executive presence. It's a little bit of a sore spot for me, but it's just interesting when those conversations start to target people of color. And we say, let's not roll up the things that we think are particular to ethnicity and call and label it executive prep. That's not fair. We all have areas of professionalism that we need to be able to bring, but let's be careful about what we're talking about. It's such an important point, and it's an important part of changing the narrative around what does it mean? to lead at an executive level, which is why I love all of the work and the conversation around authenticity, because it's leadership presence and the best leaders are who they are. They show up as themselves. You said earlier, it's part of my vibe. And so knowing like, what's your vibe? What makes you feel good? I'm not going to wear the thing because I'm supposed to wear the thing or because it's cute, but it's not comfortable. Because it's my vibe and I know that I'm showing up with energy and intentionality and that's what I want people to feel. You have to understand who you are and you have to know your vibe and know your energy and work within that. You know, I think about social media right now, all the rave and people are running businesses and you can do a lot. And if you listen to anyone who's training 
on how to run an online business. They tell people, focus on authenticity. You can have 10 people selling apparel or t-shirt, but if you're just trying to market your business or sell the same shirt that the next person is selling, what makes you different? What stands you apart? You've got to tap into who you are. You could sell the same t-shirt that the other person is saying, but if you do it in your way, it becomes unique. You've got vendors that are doing all kinds of the same kind of business. It's those who are operating in their own vibe that can continue to be successful. And so it's no different in the workplace and it's no different in professional roles and executive roles. In some way, my experience that it has set me apart and it either resonates with you or it doesn't. And that's okay too. So here's a question for you, Kristen. You have to know who you are in order to be who you are. And I'm struck that her telling you to take the earrings out really drove you to wear even bigger earrings when you were with her. I think about early in my career, like wanting to fit in, and I probably would have taken the earrings out. I'm curious, what was it within you? And how did you come to develop that sense of self that it became a motivator? I think that's the difference. We need more people that will be who they are. How did you know who that is? That's a good question. At an early age, I knew that I wasn't the same, actually, as everybody that was around me. We're all in the same neighborhood. We all go to the same schools. But I just have a different psyche. And maybe, to be fair, many of my family members were business owners and entrepreneurs and not in corporate environments. As a kid, there was lots of things going on that I just wasn't trying to be a part of. So maybe there's a part of me, quite honestly, that hasn't always felt the need to fit in. Like, what do I want? And I don't necessarily want the same things that everybody around me wants. How you define success may not be how I define success. Part of what defines success for me is be myself and make moves. I've got to learn. I've got to grow. I've got to develop. But I got to be able to put my swag on it. For me, that's a part of success. So if you think about, again, my decision to go UND instead of NCAA, why was that? I could put more of me into my work at UND instead of being somewhere where I had to conform more. And part of what motivates me and what drives me and how I define my own success is the ability to incorporate as much of myself into whatever I'm doing as possible. So I probably could have stayed at NCAA and got more promotions and had a higher title and more salary. But that's not how I define success in totality. I mean, I do want to advance. I do want to make a good income. I do want to do what I love, but I also want to do it as me. And quite honestly, Andrea, I have a slightly rebellious spirit. Yeah, I'm going to put the bigger earrings on just to irritate you and wanting to prove maybe that I can do it and I'm okay. It doesn't always work. That's the risk I'm willing to take. Because that's just part of how I define success for myself. I'm willing to have a different role and a different pay if I can be more of me. So good. And you have such a humble confidence about you. I got to see your rebellious streak. Because when I first met you, you were working at a bank. So this traditional conservative environment. And then I meet Kristen Whedon. I'm like, wow, she's not that. I saw you like making waves and having big impact there. But I know that was also an environment initially that was really tough for you. It was really tough. You know what's funny about that? Last week, I did a panel for True You, and my old boss was in the audience. 
And a question came up about impacting culture. And I joked and I said, Ooh, I don't know what the call is going to look like after this panel. And one of the things I shared on that panel is that I cried for probably the first year and a half that I worked there. That's how incredibly hard it works for me. And most of that was about culture. I was a fish out of water. When I interviewed for that role, I had braids in my hair. And I went round and round the night before on, should I take them out? And I just drove myself nuts. Should I take the job was much more money than I was making. And it was an opportunity, great benefit, something new or being able to leverage my skills in a different way. It's human resources. I was telling from speaking affairs. I had been convinced that human resources was really the bulk of the work that I was doing in speaking affairs, the parts that I love. But doing it at this place was like, man, can I be myself? And so at the end of the day, I decided not to take the braids out. I said, listen, when I go on vacation, I wear braids. They should probably know it now. Long story short, I wore my braids got the job. It wasn't a thing, but it was a much different culture, not much diversity at the time, very compliance driven. It is what it is. And then I had a moment, which was a major moment for me, where I said, okay, I figured out what I'm crying about. Why is this so hard? I think other people are challenged with this environment. Like it's not just me. And I remember asking in the first week or two, my boss at the time, I said, who's paying attention to the culture here? And she was a little taken back by the question. And then she said, we all are. Culture is no different than any other business function in my mind. We all have budgets and an expectation to adhere to them and be fiscally responsible with them. But you've got a CFO for a reason. You have an accounting function, finance function, and a CFO for a reason. There has to be someone accountable, paying attention, watching, oversight, all the things. And culture, culture is not different. And so then I said... I can help change this. That's actually what I do. And how do I do it? I just bring myself to work every day because I believe most people would prefer to be in a place where people can be comfortable in their skin and show up as who they are. It doesn't mean we're not professionals. And I read an article in Forbes many, many years ago. There was a stat that said we spent 75% of our life at work. And it's funny because I think about that now. I'm like, if it was 75% then, I don't know what it is now. And the idea that you just be so unhappy. And I said, you know what? Maybe I can help turn it around. And I believe that we did. We built up our HRP. And I would say this culture was a 180 when I left. Focusing on the culture in whatever way I tried to help do that was not my day job, right? I had things to do. It wasn't that. But I found a way to incorporate that into what value I was able to bring into the organization. And eventually it did become my job, truly. So another example of changing the narrative. What can I do to be more of me and make this a different place to be? Yeah, absolutely. Because all of our narratives are important, but I can only live mine. And I think that if more people have an opportunity to see that The more you tap into who you are and have an understanding of who you are, the more successful you can be. I've just finished an engagement survey, and there's a lot of data that talks about what all goes into the employee experience that impacts outcome. And I would argue authenticity and one's ability to feel like they belong in their workplace has a direct impact on how they show up, the attitude they show up with, what they do while they're here, how much they're willing to go above and beyond, how committed they are to their organization, which all of the above impact bottom line. 
we care deeply about employee satisfaction. It's something that we're working on today. We want people to come here, have an experience, have a great time to come back. If you tell them they can come here, but they got to walk at this speed and dress like this, they're looking for the next place of entertainment to go to. And the workforce is a very similar thing, particularly as we look at different generations in the workforce. Everybody's narrative is changing what people want out of the employer, how much we're looking to our employers to be able to offer fulfillment. People are making employment decisions based on how active is the organization and the community. What's the dress code? What does flexibility look like? People care about those things now. So we have to have an environment where people can show up and be themselves. As your experiences show, it has served you well. And not only has it given others the permission, it is encouraging, just like the story you told us about your colleague recently. It's encouraging other people to reflect on their vibe and who they are. And the other thing that strikes me that you haven't said, but I'm curious to get your perspective on this. You are someone who encourages other people to be who they are. And I think it takes someone who is confident in themselves in order to do that. No doubt the person who was threatened by your big earrings, I would suspect there's some self-awareness lacking there and probably not real in tune with what her vibe is. I mean, has that been your experience as well? I don't like to assert what I think about what other people are thinking or feeling, but I make an assumption that there's something you're not comfortable with about yourself. When you're telling me what I shouldn't be comfortable doing and how I shouldn't, like, I don't know if jealousy is the word, but I will say I have had experiences where people have made comments to me where they don't understand how I have had success or be advancing or be in some of the rooms and spaces that I've been in with my vibe. And maybe some people might be offended by that. I'm actually flattered. That's exactly the point. And what I'm hopeful for is that others are motivated by that because we don't have to be limited by other people's perceptions of who we are based on very surface things. Now, that said, I take a lot of pride in my work and the effort that I put into it. I report to the CEO of a very large and prominent organization in the state. So I wouldn't be able to do it if I didn't have the experience and the gravitas to back it up. But I like to think when they recruited me for this role, I'm told they were doing lots of interviewing. And I'm sure they interviewed people with better backgrounds and higher education and all the things than me. But having gotten to know the people who were a part of that hiring decision, I believe that how I incorporate so much of who I am and what I do and the interactions that I have I truly believe it was a part of what set me apart. When I first met with Cindy Wakis, who reached out to me about the job, and we spoke for an hour, and she said, oh, my God, Allison, I love you. So then she put me through with Allison and did a video interview, and I talked with her for an hour or longer, and she said, oh, my God, Mark, I love you. Then I did lunch with Mark, and the rest is history. And I don't believe that was just about my resume because I'm sure that they found much more qualified resume than mine. But I'm incredibly grateful for the opportunity and I work hard at it every day. And Mark will tell you one day I'll walk into his office. He said, girl, you're giving me whiplash with these different hairstyles. <laughs> I said, Mark, 
Yeah, what's called an ELT is the executive leadership team. So there's a group of us that report to him. I said, you haven't had an ELT member with much swag as me. And he just laugh about it. If you can just be you and still kill it, you will be in the spaces that are meant for you to be in. Uh, you want to be in the ones that are for you. And find that if you're trying to be somebody else along your journey. Like you said earlier, I want to do it as me. I told you my supervisor was in the room when I was on that panel and she did text me afterward and she said some very kind things. And one of the things she said was you were incredible, incredibly large part, obviously, of everything that we did well here. You really helped me grow as a leader and change something about how I'm showing up from a leadership perspective. Now, when I think about that, and I was very appreciative of her comment, I reported to her. And she had been in that organization for 10, 11 years. She was being promoted. She's doing all the things. She's one of those people, if you give her the recipe, she is going to execute whatever that is. That's incredible. But for me, I just didn't want to be a clone. That's just not how I view the relationship. I have to have my style about it. And her way works for her. She's a senior vice president. She's killing it. She has brought a lot more of herself. If I was just trying to be her because I'm watching her get promoted and she's getting an opportunity, I still wouldn't have been happy. Make impact. That's one of the drivers that I have. And part of that for me is adding my vibe to it. It's so good. And you've done that wherever you go. There you are, just as you are. I'm so grateful for you. Kristen, thank you so much. Thanks for showing up with your heart today and sharing these very real lessons that no doubt will have a lot of impact on our listeners. So if our listeners want to connect with you beyond this conversation, what's the best way to do that? I am active on LinkedIn. They can look me up, Kristen Whedon, and follow me. I engage, I message, representing what we're doing here at Pinsky Entertainment, Indianapolis Motor Speedway, and IndyCar. So yeah, look forward to seeing your listeners on LinkedIn. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast to never miss a being at work story.